Hello and welcome to the Bias That Podcast. I'm Alex Miller, and in this episode, we're going to catch up with Kevin Harkenreich, who was recently appointed Chief Operating Officer at Biasat. Kevin's been with the company for 15 years or so, and he's occupied a number of different roles during that time. So we wanted to ask him about this new role and how he'll help manage Biasat's growth in the next few years as we launch the Biasat 3 constellation of satellites and become much more of a global player. Here's the interview. All right. So Kevin Harkenreiter, welcome back to the Biaside Podcast. Good to have you back on the show. Hey, Alex, it's always good to be back to be on your show. It's a true honor to be interviewed by you. <laughs> Thank you. So um, are you still over marketing, even with your new position? Yes. Okay. So you're still my boss's boss's boss. So I got I to gotta be on my best behavior. So, so intimidating, isn't it, Alex? <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. All right. Well, well, let's just start with the big picture. What's going on in the next year or so? Well, clearly, the company's got one big objective. You know, you've been around for a number of years. The last satellite we launched was 2017, went into service Valentine's Day 2018. So the big deal is 2022 is getting ready for the next satellite launch. It'll be almost five years apart, not quite four and a half to five. Getting ready for that is a big event for Viaset. And so if the one thing I'll be focusing on with whatever ability I have to lead is our preparations to monetize that satellite. And from that, much of my experience across the company will be drawn upon. And what's good about that, Alex, is it lets you focus on a big thing. And when the list is short, focus isn't a problem. And we have that event less often than the Olympics happen. We get to go get a new satellite launch. So that's the focus from... Uh, my personal standpoint and those that are part of my team will be focused on as well. So uh, so we wanted to catch up with you for a few reasons. And the first is because you just changed your job again. So you're that guy who's always being put in different positions at Viaset uh, since you joined in 2006 and been doing it for a while. So I mean, when we first met, you were overseeing the Denver office and commuting from California every week. So you were up until recently the chief operations officer and you're now the chief operating officer. So there's a suffix change there, uh, semantics, but what's the nuance there? What's different? There's a broader fiduciary responsibility that goes with the chief operating officer title as a corporate officer. So our chief financial officer, our chief people officer, and our chief legal counsel all report to me in addition. So from an operations standpoint, i.e. getting ready for Biosat 3, it doesn't change. In terms of where my attention, most of it probably doesn't change. But in terms of fiduciary responsibility, it's broader. It's an area that I have served. I've always been very conscious of our people and making them, let's just say, make Viasat their employer of choice. So the fact that the people and culture team works for me doesn't change that focus. I always had it. From a financial standpoint, if you don't have investors and bondholders who are happy, you don't get to have employees. And from that standpoint, it is a thing new. And the legal counsel is part of the roles I've had in the past. But it is a broader fiduciary responsibility that if I didn't think of it, I will be even more conscious of thinking of it with every decision I make. Right. Yeah, understood. And I think whether it's CEO or COO or, you know, every company has variations on, on what some of these executive roles are comprised of. So I was wondering, like, how do you see this role developing for you uh, and evolving as Viaset grows globally? First of all, the, as a company grows with the Inmarsat acquisitions, a big step function change, but that's probably about a year away. So until then, you know, we're growing. Well, in terms of more broader, we have 
the key thing is Viasat 3 service launch. That'll happen before the MRSAT deal closes. That means in North and South America, we'll have a much bigger pallet of capacity to sell, which means we'll do business in more than just Brazil in South America, for example, and more than really just Mexico, where we currently just have some residential service and some community Wi-Fi. So that will cause us to be ready for it. Now, the business segment presidents will have that accountability. My team will be in a support role to it, but we'll have a number of things. And I view growing companies as step, think of a staircase. And every time you ask a satellite for Viasat, we move up a step. And the first Viasat 3 goes north and south and broader, but it's not a huge step because the biggest markets, US and Brazil, we're already in. So that's good. Baby steps. And then the next satellite, which launches Viasat 3, as all of Europe, where we currently just do business in a few countries because we only have KASAT capacity in a few, and all of Africa. That's a bigger step. That, along with the MRSET acquisition, will make a big step for Viasat. How we divide the responsibilities of the company, I think part of it will happen with the MRSET acquisition. We assess the talent, how we're going to be organized. We haven't gotten even close to that yet. That'll determine it, but that's a little bit far away and not today's problem. It will become a 2022 issue to deal with. In the meantime, to my first comment, Viasat 3 is a focus. We have to be ready to monetize the first one. A, make the ground system ready along with the satellite. And secondly, be ready to have all the various support, distribution, sales, marketing, all those things in the various countries you're going to is a lot of work to do. And that has to be our focus. Right. So what type of structures need to be implemented or, or augmented to help manage that growth for the company's global vision and strategy there? The most obvious one is, you know, legally, you need to do business in the countries you wish to sell in. And today in the U.S., all 50 states have property tax, various issues. Every country has something similar. So we'll have to acquire the, the legal ability to do business in countries we don't currently have a need to do it. That's a known thing. More importantly to me is getting broader distribution of our product. Typically, we'll have a combination of employees plus third-party agents that will assist us with it. We need to get those lined up. Now, Evan Dixon will have the primary responsibility for that because most of that will come in either residential or Viasat community internet that falls under Evan. We'll have uh, lesser from the other areas to do it. But mainly it's having, how will I get, how will I sell the product? What's the mechanism? Is it going to be a third party, i.e. we'll have to establish a contract with somebody or do I need to hire employees to do it ourselves? You need to be doing all those things right now to be ready to, to monetize it by the latter part, second half of 2022. Right. It's a, it's a big job and uh, there's a lot of moving parts to it. Not, as you mentioned, all kinds of different countries with those landing rights to have uh, be able to have served satellite and, and all kinds of other considerations. Uh, but alongside that, you mentioned Inmarsat, which is a, another satellite company that we are in the processes of acquiring. It's still a ways away from being a done deal. But also recently, last April, we acquired RigNet and it's an Intelli company as well. And so I was wondering uh, how much of that integration into Viasat is part of your, your strategy or what you're up to? Only a little bit, I'd say, Alex, mainly because the way RigNet, the way we've done the acquisition is our global mobility business, GEM, they call it global enterprise and mobility under Jimmy Dodd, has the primary organizational responsibility for integrating them within their segment. I do have part of our team in terms of operations and logistics Environmental safety and health, there are some things, of course, facilities, leases, where we can combine, we're doing, but I'd say overall, 
if you look at the primary integration there is done by Jimmy within his team of which I have, my team has a support role, but mainly a secondary support role. He's got a guy named John Daly, who's very capable leading a lot of that, along with Jerry Goodwin. Those two seem to be handling it and they bring us in as, as necessary. I have not ha had a lead role in doing that. Another thing I wanted to ask is, you know, there's a lot of activity on the satellite internet side. For many years, it was it was us and just another company or two. And now you've got uh, some other players getting into that space and and uh, that competition. Uh, how do you see Viasat positioning itself in that market now? Well, certainly there's a lot more competition today than there were five years ago, whenever we were talking about Viasat 2 launching back in the day. So between SpaceX and then soon Amazon and and tell us that all these companies are entering the market. Our view is in terms of the capacity we'll have and of what we're trying to go take on as customers, there's enough for all of us to succeed. Now, there's also a complication with the, some of the infrastructure bills you're hearing about for the US government has recently passed or is considering passing. We'll give more subsidization to other let's call them alternatives and might cause a fiber provider to find an economically more advantageous to enter a market, say more rural where we satellite companies were the ones that yet hasn't been figured out, but that will also complicate it. But in general to put our minds at ease, we believe the market is big enough for all of us to be successful because the demand for internet is becoming a more and more ubiquitous desire. And as that happens, we can all be uh, successful. On the secondary, in terms of the service we provide, we have to be conscious of our, in terms of what product we provide ever increasing, so for example, data allocation for companies. You, you hear a lot about our, our users today that reach their data limit and therefore they have to curtail their usage. We are being mindful of every satellite we launch and Biosat 3 is the next one where its data capability is much, much bigger and therefore, we can do a better job of meeting some people's demand for video in particular with the next vintage. And because the coverage area of our Viasat 3 satellites is so broad, we can do a much more expansive job of meeting their needs as well. But there are competitors entering the market. And generally, though, that's an indicator of a successful market because there's room for all these competitors to flourish. And that's how we view it. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. There's, uh, I think, almost like half the people on Earth don't really have a internet connectivity. So that's, it's a huge market. And uh, like you said, hopefully room, room for, uh, for plenty of people. Uh, speaking of Viasat 3 and its, its capacity and coverage, another really interesting element of this satellite constellation is its uh, ability to uh, move capacity around with this flexible beam structure, which I would think that makes a really big difference on how you can approach some of these markets because you don't have to put the same amount of capacity over places that, that don't need it or you can't sell it. How does that figure into uh, like, you know, the whole plan? The great advantage is if you visualize the terrain of the earth and you look at where people reside, wherever the population centers are, even though we have a typically, let's call it non-core urban hub customer base, ours are in the suburbs and rural. But there is such a peak and I visualize terrain like, like in Denver, the Rocky Mountains, 14,000 feet, that's around a, the outer ring of the suburbs around the metropolitan areas. And today, East Coast and West Coast have that. When you have like uh, LEO satellites like SpaceX has and Amazon will have, they put an equal layer of capacity all over the Earth's surface. So visualize you have this equal capacity all over the Earth's surface. But the demand 
has peaks. And therefore, in the fringe areas of a major city area along the West Coast, they will never be able to meet the peak demand. Whereas with our architecture, where you can concentrate demand where needed, instead of the equal thin layer over all the surface, including water, you have an advantage economically in terms of the amount of money it takes to go put a satellite into service and the number of customers you can go get because you can focus our capacity where the demand is. So supply and demand can be matched as opposed to a thin layer of, of our competitors that have a ubiquitous layer all across the entire globe. They're unable to do so. Therefore, it limits some of their ability to A, offer data limits in certain markets. And secondly, the pricing they can go do has to be that in mind. So the economics we feel is advantageous for our purposes. And that's what is what is, I think, a good thing for FiSet because of what you just said. Another aspect to this that, that is pretty interesting is looking ahead to like a hybrid network where you've got the high geostationary satellites like we operate today connecting to some of those, uh, you know, LEO satellites down close. What does that bring uh, in terms of uh, flexibility and opportunity? Well, clearly it gives you the advantage of latency, the latency concern that some users have. If you develop that technology, which is still a future tense thing right. for us to develop as opposed to passive. We've done a little bit with hybrid with in terms of using our satellite with DSL. We've done a little bit of technology things from it. We haven't yet, I'd say, gone into the market with it. We're trying to do some things. But once you do that, you can address the one weakness we have, which in certain markets and certain user demographics, latency does matter. And today we generally avoid those markets. So that would be the advantage. Whether it's necessary for us and when we might do it, I think is still a TBD. Yeah, it's really interesting when you think about it. Those LEO satellites are so close to the Earth that they can't beam a signal very far. But if they could beam up to a, a geo satellite and then back down, it really opens things up quite a bit. So it'll be interesting to see uh, where we can go with that. One other thing you mentioned earlier was the importance of being an employer of choice, uh, which you know you may not necessarily think of the COO thinking about. Maybe it's like an HR thing, but I know it's key to your thinking. Can you talk about a little bit about that and how you make uh, ISF become that employer of choice? All right. So first of all, I'll start with Greek mythology. Sisyphus and Greek mythology rolled a rock uphill, got to the top, and rolled down again. Right? <laughs> yep. That's Sisyphus. Being an employer of choice is a Sisyphean task. You never succeed. But your attitude has that you'll continue to toil to find a way to try to satisfy our employees. There is always competition. Today's market and working from home the last 20 months clearly makes people more mobile. Therefore, the standard has to go up because people's ability to go move is easier. Right. So my view of this is, number one, the research is that most people leave a company not so much because of money, it's because their relationship with their manager isn't strong enough to keep them from looking elsewhere when the headhunter or the LinkedIn you know, email person, whatever happens to cause them, they pick up the phone or the email and they return it. So I take it very seriously that my obligation to my employees and to their employees and to their employees is to develop relationships and give feedback constructively about how we're doing What's your career desire? What are you looking for? And trying to find an intersection of your desire and our needs. And with a growing company, which we are, we continue to add hundreds of people's positions each year. You have opportunity for growth. 
That's what's great about Viaset and our growth. So if you establish rapport and if there's trust between a manager and the employee, and if you can have these constructive dialogues about what are you looking for, Alex? What do you find good? What would, what's your next? What do you look and constantly looking for what I call the self-actualization desires of our employees that only the manager typically can do the, the number one thing to forward that. And I go through it myself. I inquire of the people, I have vice presidents who work for me. What are you doing to ensure you're bringing your, your direct reports and their direct reports along to go meet their needs? And I make it a regular review point. Now we get these pulse surveys that give us some macro information, but it's my supervisor. It can show you sort of the fringes of people who have a problem and maybe the manager ranks is not the good location for them or coaching is necessary. They give you some indicators, but I rely very strongly on a singular purpose of making me the employer choice for my direct reports and certainly one level down because I have a relationship with all those those individuals, but I, I got to cascade it more. There's eight levels, there's seven levels between me and our, and some levels in certain groups of the company that are very large. That's not good enough alone, but it starts with me. What do I do in terms of ensuring I'm being the employer of choice for the people who work for me? And what am I doing for at least another level down? If I do that and hold a standard, I believe I can at least address some of why people leave. And yes, we look at, you know, are we competitive in our markets for salaries? We do a lot of things. Typically, if Google or Facebook wants to give someone a huge stock award to jump ship and monetary, and there's a segment of the population that cares an awful lot about it, we'll lose some, but we, we lose more because the manager-employee bond is not strong enough and we haven't developed it. And I set a standard for myself to, it is my fault. If that happens and I haven't done my job, I need to up my game. And I try to go, let's say, inculcate that, that attitude with the people who work for me. Okay. Well, you know, that leads right into my next question because, uh, you know, in addition to your, your day-to-day work at Viaset, you regularly do this pretty popular class for employees that's about accountability. You know, when you think about a, a rapidly expanding company, you can't be everywhere and you've got to have those people in, in all parts of the, the globe with that accountability focus. So is that going to be a, a real focus of yours? And how do, how do you promote that? I guess there's two ways. One is uh, I'll, I'll keep doing the class that we've done. We've done 80, over 80 of those classes so far. So wow. about, about one third of our employees actually has attended the class, which is pretty amazing when you think about it. And I like doing it just like, you know, when the college president still teaches a class in school, it's, it keeps you connected to levels that you, as you uh, ascend the career ladder, sometimes you lose that connection. So I always like like it. And it lets me try to, again, inculcate is the word I'll use again, to try to go do it at that level. Secondly, I set a standard myself for me accepting accountability and the people who work closest with me. And I will come in contact in a week with 50 to 100 employees every week. I try to set a standard with them for accountability, are they willing to accept responsibly? Make sure they're willing, not just take it. Say, assume they take it. No, I got to be willing to take it and do my part to set the standard myself. It is a cause that I do, Alex, that uh, it resonated with me 30 years ago and it still works. There are some people who aren't comfortable with it. I accept that people have differences in terms of what their style and their motivation, but most people generally it appeals to. So that's why I find this class that I do with about 25 people one to two times a month, there's 50 people a month. When I do that, I find a resonance of people and I make a difference. 
And I still generally, I hear from my students one to two a month, reach out to me to have, they got a problem, they got something to deal with it. So I know it's still working there. And I guess you all try to go make a difference one person at a time. That's my thing here. So I plan to keep doing it. All right. Well, it's a good thing. I know a lot of people have, have really appreciated that. And uh, it's a simple message that, uh, you know, don't pass the buck, don't pass the blame. You know, if you see a problem, fix it. And it's something that we can all use a reminder of anywhere. So um, I wanted to, to end with just to ask you, as, as someone who's held a number of positions uh, here over what, was it 2006 that you started, what kind of advice would you give for ambitious people looking to do the same, like climbing that uh, career ladder? I mean, what, what's your secret, Kevin? What's it been? All right. Well, I have, I have six traits that I look for in any leader that I try to earn an A myself. So let's go through those. Curiosity, empathy, understanding, tenacity, drive for results. So that's what the accountability is about results. Then there's self-confidence, self-awareness, and selflessness. And the selflessness parts is the company is the thing, not me. Whenever I have an assignment or do it, it isn't about me. It's about working with others for a common good and not trying to take the credit for me. That's, that's where the selfless part, that's the one I think is most powerful is people very often, I have millennial children and much of the, some of the ages, I need to do it for me. And I try to convince them to do it for a greater cause. If it's a nonprofit world, you're, you know, a community you want to do, that's great. For the company's standpoint, it's for what makes a company successful so we all benefit. It's a singular uh, focus and accountability for it with a broader good. And I tell people, and I'll tell you, Alex, is management will figure it out. If you're, if you're selfless making results, even though you don't tell us, we got enough brains to figure it out. Just be tenacious have self-awareness. So if in fact your tenacity is getting in the way of your success because you're turning other people off, have enough self-awareness and empathy to realize it. Be curious about why, why not, why do those things, but do it in a way that's selfless. If you do those things, I believe there is success for you somewhere. I'm hopeful it's biased that, but I'm about the people themselves to develop their, their abilities as broadly as we can. I've had a number of people who've chosen to leave Viaset, who I still talk to on a regular basis because it's about them and being successful. Some of them come back because of that connection. And that's the selfless part that I'm trying to espouse. And I'm not looking for credit for it. I want everyone to reach the ascension of their capability somehow. And that's the employer choice part. But for me personally, it's me helping them. Let's face it, there's around 1800 people who report to me, I don't do their job. I can help them succeed. And what I try to do is set the model, ask some questions about how, you know, how they're coming along and showing the concern, but also demonstrate it all the time, seven by 24 by 365. That's my attitude. And if I do it, I feel good about myself. And sometimes, Alex, I don't get an A every day. Then I, I can look in the mirror and say, okay, everyone laughs. I, said, I got a C today. And then they all mm -hmm. laugh at me when I tell them. But the fact is, I got to look in the mirror myself. I don't get an A every day, but my attitude is I got to still strive to do it. And I want everybody to earn an A who works with me. Part of that is me helping them. Part of them is their own accountability. All right. Well, on that inspirational note, Kevin, uh, I think we can wrap up here. Thanks so much for taking the time and uh, congratulations on your new position and your fiduciary responsibilities <laughs> that go along with it. All right. Thank you, Alex. And I appreciate getting to an interview with you as they're always enjoyable. So thank you again. Good to see you. All right. You too, Kevin. Thank you. 
Thanks for listening to the Viasat Podcast. If you know someone you think would be interested in what you've heard on this episode, please share. You can always find the latest episodes on our blog at viasat.com, and you can subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or just about anywhere you get your podcasts. 